0: Ah, the old hook, line, and sinker. It's the most fundamental thing in fishing. But how do I choose my hook, line, and sinker? And what details do I need to know when putting my hook, line, and sinker together? All that and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. All right, guys, Lachance here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. We uh, we've got an interesting one for you here. Hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker is about as um, basic as it gets in fishing. Well, the thing is, there's no right or wrong answers in it, and everyone's got different opinions on hooks, lines, and sinkers. So I thought here for the next 25 minutes or so, 30 minutes, we would talk about some of the Fundamental decisions that go into hooks lines and sinkers. So I'm going to dive right in. This is a, a, a Broad subject uh, again. There's no right or wrong answer Some of you are going to disagree with some of this and I fully get it and I, I fully respect that uh, This is what I've figured out after 20 years of doing this professionally and and better part of 45 years of doing it uh, Just for fun. So let's jump right in first choosing hooks, lines, and sinkers, and some fundamental stuff in that decision process. First off, let's start with hooks. All things considered, a light wire hook is better than a thick wire hook for getting penetration. So I like a light wire hook, or a hook no stiffer I should say, no heavier than what I need to make sure my fish stays on there and doesn't straighten that hook out. So. A light wire hook also does a better job of not affecting the action of your bait or your lure. If I've got a small light wire hook buried in a nightcrawler, he is going to behave more naturally than if I have a heavy wire or a large hook on that nightcrawler. Same thing with a leech, something like that, or even something like a like a molded piece of powder bait that we're big fans of that you cast and retrieve. I fully believe that the lighter the wire the hook is the better number of bites you're going to get in all of those applications. So when I'm sitting there looking at all the hooks I'm going to choose the smallest one I need that has just enough gap to make sure I can get my fish caught and is just stiff enough that they're not going to straighten my hook. And that depends on the strength of the fish or potentially the boniness of the fish's mouth. So how hard do I have to jerk on it to get that hook buried in the fish? Again the lighter the wire the thinner the wire The easier it is to get that to penetrate, though, so there's kind of a a trade-off there between uh, the light wire and heavy wire when it comes to a bony fish. I like light wire hooks as much as possible on jig heads. I like that on trebles. Um, When I go to heavier wire hooks, it's because I need more robust hook sets. Maybe I'm fishing around really heavy cover, and I I need to hook set hard so that I can get fish coming right at me. Uh, or something on a Texas rig where I've got to jerk a hook through a piece of plastic, then I'm going to step the wire size up on my hook. Uh, Saltwater fish or big strong fish that are going to pull really hard um, is again where I might up the wire size. A good example of that might be something like uh, a little fly that I would use for trout fishing. I might tie on a light wire hook, but I might tie that same exact fly in the same size on a heavier wire hook if I'm gonna use it for, say, carp fishing because instead of a two pound trout, I might catch a 15 pound carp and he will straighten that thin wire hook. So I will up the hook diameter, wire diameter in that application you know, for for a heavier or stronger fish. Same kind of thing with the size of the hook. The, in some scenarios, the size of the hook needs to match the lure specifically. So, for instance, I have a, a personal love of a, of a Berkeley Pit Boss for bass fishing. It's a fantastic soft plastic. I use a ton of it. I went through about four bags from the last week fishing bass in Kansas. In that situation, I need a four-out hook regardless because it's Fits the bait. The bait is designed to go on a four-aught hook lengthwise. So the, the hook and the bait go together in that situation. So I'm not going to arbitrarily say I need a two-aught hook because it's a better choice, like I just said a minute ago, for most things. No, I need the hook to match the size of the bait. Same thing with something like a, a crankbait or something. Keep in mind the manufacturer designed that bait to work with a specific size and weight of hooks. So as soon as I change that size or weight, my bait may not perform in the way that the uh designer wanted it to do. And Dan Spangler, the hard bait development manager for, for Berkeley and I are are good friends, and we've had lots of talks about uh, changing, what changing hooks does to your crankbait. So if you've got a crankbait or a jerkbait, your best bet in most cases is to go with the hook the manufacturer put on there in terms of size and wire diameter. It's going to affect your weight. So, uh, it's taken as a blanket statement, smaller lighter hooks will get you more bites. Heavier wire hooks uh, might be more resistant to bending open and losing fish or breaking off. Um, And otherwise those, you know, that's the fundamentals of it. Now, there's a couple other key things to it. I like things like, for instance, jig heads fishing around rock. I prefer a low carbon steel because it will bend and I can straighten it. So if I snag that jig, I can pull it off, tie a fresh knot. We'll get to more of that here in a minute straighten the hook with my pliers and I can get away with that maybe twice depending on how bent it was before you'll start weakening the steel. If you've got the really expensive, really high carbon hooks, you can't straighten them and they're much harder to sharpen as well. So like the old bronze hooks that are very famous and very familiar to a lot of people is a very forgiving hook in terms of being able to repair it. A modern, very sharp, high carbon steel, you know, ridiculously sharp, chemically sharpened type hook are great but they are not repairable, so to speak. They're almost disposable. If you bend them, they'll break. If you try to sharpen them, you'll never get them back to where they were in the first place. So there's a a fundamental thing there with the hooks. Um, Having said all that, there's almost no scenario where I want a larger than average hook. I can't even think of one off the top of my head where I would, Personally put a bigger hook thinking I'm gonna hook more fish. It almost never goes that way You're gonna hook more fish with a smaller sharp hook than you are with a larger hook uh, Brute force and ignorance is the first thing I think of when people want to use uh, You know beefy hooks because they're fishing for quote-unquote big fish. So there's that Let's move to line hook line sinker. Let's go on to line Similarly to the hooks lighter is gonna get you more bites Period. It allows your lure to behave more freely. It allows your bait to behave more freely. Uh, It's uh, easier to cast farther. It's uh, just a lot of things that make lighter line a better choice. It's harder for fish to locate it or notice it. Uh, It's a good choice. Now... Obviously, we ha- we need tensile strength does to come in this UK equation, but my standard answer is look, I have to hook them before I can break them off. And I hook more fish with lighter line. I do a tremendous amount of fishing for a lot of species from bass and walleyes to, to panfish to you name it with six-pound trident 100% fluorocarbon XL. And the reason I do that is I get a lot of bites. Yeah, I need to be careful with with playing fish, but that's okay. I can do that. That's that's in my skill set and my drag setting and things like that. That's that's a key thing there, and I can do that with with uh, with my own skills. But the lighter line's going to get me a lot of bites. I do a lot of finesse jig fishing. Let's uh, say an eighth ounce jig with whatever's on it. In my case, three inch gold minnow a lot of the time, but it could be a, a four inch worm. It could be any one of a tube jig or anything else uh i typically do that on lighter than average lines than most people again because it gets me a lot of bites um, with monofilament and fluorocarbon it's rare that uh, i'm going to go under the four pound range uh, for anything uh, or with braid line for that matter i can get away with almost anything i need to do uh, with four pound test or above and that includes bluegills, crappies, whatever the case might be. Keep in mind, I am not an ice fisherman. I I know some ice guys that fish with two pound test, good for them. I don't ice fish at all, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, I think that lighter line has got a, a, a few advantages that maybe aren't intuitive to you as well. The lighter line handles easier on a reel in a lot of cases, particularly a spinning reel. Because it's got less torsional rigidity, less resistance to twist, it comes off the spool a little easier, it leads to much better casting distance. And I'm not generally a fan uh, or an advocate of long casts. I want my cast, I want to be able to present baits as close as possible without spooking fish in most cases because I have controllability. The, The more distance between me and a fish, The less steering and controllability and leverage and everything else I have on that fish. So uh, also the less control I have of my lure from uh, standpoint of preventing it from snagging, the harder my hook sets get. A lot of things happen when your lure gets a lot farther away. Having said that, Maybe the water's really shallow and clear. Maybe you're bone fishing and I can't get 10 feet or 20 feet or 30 feet from my fish because they're going to see you. Keep in mind the shallower the water is, the wider the cone above the water is that fish can see. So a fish in six inches of water can see a lot farther outside of the water than a fish in six feet of water can. So that's important to keep in mind, and therefore casting accuracy, or casting distance, I should say, will make a difference. Same thing, fish in shallow water are also spookier. So you may need to throw farther in in shallow water or very clear water. It may be that you have a bait that's diving like a crankbait, and the farther you can cast it, the more time it will spend at a given depth on its way back to the boat, because it's gonna run on a dive curve. Okay, there's a scenario where a long cast will help. In that case, a thinner, lighter line will help you and it will help you be able to throw farther. And that, that can be very important to get a crankbait. So say I'm trying to hit the top of a hump that's 20 feet deep or 15 feet deep with my crankbait. Well, I need to throw a long ways past that hump so that my bait's at full depth when it comes across there and may or may not hit. And 10-pound test, I might be able to hit that. Let's say I've got 10-pound fluorocarbon. I might be able to hit that hump. But on 20-pound fluorocarbon in the same bait, the thickness and stiffness of the line will keep it from hitting that hump. So there, the lighter line will help you out. Incidentally, if you really want your crankbait to dive, put it on thin braid. Uh, like 10-pound braid instead, some kind of 10-pound wire Dura-Braid or, or X9, something like that. Now I can, A, throw it farther still because the line has less uh, rigidity, more suppleness to it, and B, it's thinner in diameter by a large margin, so it will cut through the water column easier and allow your bait to dive faster. So. Some people say, oh, well the braid floats, it's going to limit. No, that's not the case because the diving bill will overcome anything, any amount of resistance that line would have in terms of trying to float. The thinness of it cuts through the water column much easier and they will get your crankbait to dive really far. So, again, all things considered, lighter line is better than heavier line. The only rare exception to that, or very few rare exceptions, is if I need controllability of a bait. The first one that comes to mind with me is like a bass fisherman that's throwing a frog around heavy cover. Well, yeah, I can throw it and have plenty of tensile strength on 20 or 30 pound braid but 65 or 80 pound braid is going to give me much bigger diameter and it's going to give me much more controllability around cover it's less apt to wrap cover Uh, it's much more steerability of my bait things like that and it's of no issue because frogs not typically something i'm making really long bombs with if you're making long bombs with a frog you're going to lose a lot of fish it's typically a reasonable to close range type bait And 65 or 80-pound braid will give you tons of steerability. Again, I can set the hook and and everything else with 30-pound braid and be okay. But the 80 or 65 or 80-pound braid gives me the controllability I like. And that's about the only one off the top of my head I can think of where heavier is better. Uh, It may be that I need heavier uh, leader or bite leader of something like that in in that case i will typically run my main line and then i'll put a short stubby leader on there and for me leaders are very very rarely longer than about two feet and most of the time they're more like 12 to 18 inches for a few reasons one i don't believe that fish are as lines as line shy as people think and and i've i've proven this to myself in a lot of scenarios but a classic one being bonefish in shallow water we have already talked a little bit about that Bonefish in shallow water, you think, oh, well, they're about as line spooky as you get because they have exceptional eyesight. The water's extremely clear and they're afraid of their own shadow, so to speak. They're not real bright, but they're extremely observant. I've still proven over and over and over again that they will happily eat uh, with straight braided line. In that case, I'll throw uh, X9 braid, which I love for its casting distance and, and accuracy. It's a very easy line to cast. But it's not clear by any stretch. But I can get away with an 18-inch, 10-pound fluorocarbon leader, and as long as I don't spook them with the boat or hit them with the actual lure, it doesn't spook. It doesn't spook the bonefish. As many of them will bite that as will bite it. If you have a four-foot leader, only the four-foot leader is harder to present. So. Uh, Because the leader knot has to go through the guide. So you know that scenario if I need to have a a leader on the tip It's going to be short and stubby a bite leader being a classic one as well something like a snook or maybe pike Um, I'm not a fan of wire by any stretch for pike. I think you get way less bites with wire leaders So I go with heavy fluorocarbon something in the 50 to 80 pound range, but that leader is only about maybe a foot long just to keep his teeth off of the line itself so that bite leader will do plenty good for you so in that scenario again it's the main line is still light the the main line is only as heavy as i need it tensile strength wise to be able to get you know fish to the boat and it's a misnomer that you need tons of tensile strength with a modern fishing rod and reel and some basic skills you can land some very large fish in very short period of time which is a major goal of mine because i do believe in delayed mortality just by how you go about fighting the fish and how to fight fish is a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. But I can tell you that I've caught some really big fish on a really light line in a short period of time by fighting them intelligently rather than with brute force. And, uh, and you can trick them at some of their own games. So that's a key thing. Let's switch it up a little bit and talk about knots because I get tons of questions about knots and it's part of your terminal tackle system, hook, line and sinker. Uh, if I'm tying braided line to a lure or uh, anything terminal, a lure, a hook, anything like that, straight braided line, I'm going to do that with a Palomar knot. And I'm not going to try to teach how to tie knots in this podcast. That's what they make YouTube for. Go check out you know, the various knots that I'm going to mention here. A Palomar knot is very very good with braided line it's easy to tie it's uh it's as close to bomb proof as you're going to get and it's a fantastic choice it's the only knot i use for tying braided line to terminal connections if i'm tying monofilament either nylon monofilament or fluorocarbon to a terminal thing, a lure or a leader. Uh, Then I'm going to tie a San Diego Jam Knot. And again, you can go look that one up on YouTube. A San Diego Jam Knot tests very high, uh, very high, very close to a Palomar Knot. Um, It's quick and dirty to tie. And I mean, really quick to tie. Uh, It's the knot I use a lot. Well, I use it all the time for fluorocarbon and, and monofilament. And let's say I'm guiding clients, and we're on a jig bite or something. I've got them with light fluorocarbon. If I'm going to retie that thing like three or four times an hour, whether they're catching fish or not. It, just from the jig being down on the rocks and beating up that first little bit of line, I'm going to cut maybe six to ten inches of line off of the off of the end of the the. Um, the fluorocarbon or the mono, and I'm going to tie a fresh knot on a regular basis. Fresh knots are muy importante. If you take nothing from this podcast other than fresh knots, do it. I've fished with some of the best anglers uh, around, some of the some BAS's anglers of the year and national crappie fishing champions. Those guys are retying constantly because the knot is the weak link period in your system and knots cause problems. So retie early and often. The San Diego jam knot is extremely quick to tie and because of that, I can use the weight of the lure to help tie the knot and again, look them up, you'll see how to tie them. But I can tie a, an 8-ounce jig to 6-pound 100% fluorocarbon in about literally 5 or 8 seconds, 10 at the outside with the San Diego Jam knots. quick business and it's very, very reliable. Let's talk about um, another knot that I use to join lines together. Let's say I want to join fluorocarbon and monofilament. I've got a, a or a, excuse me, fluorocarbon and braid. I've got a braided main line. Let's see my jerkbait setup. I've got 15-pound Triline X9 braid, Berkley X9 braid going to a fluorocarbon leader. Again it's a short stubby leader, 12 maybe 18 inches long. I'm going to tie that leader on with back-to-back uni knots. Now, here's going to be a major point of contention. Some of you are going to start screaming about the FG knot. And I get it. FG knot's a great knot. It's wonderful. If you can tie it in the comfort of your own home with no wind and perfect lighting and a desk to do it on, it's great. In my world, in the boat, in the wind, and everything else that goes with that, it is an absolute nuisance to try to tie that knot, and, uh, and therefore I don't do it. Um, also, be, for that same reason that it's a nuisance to tie, I end up with a knot that's less reliable. So I spent a whole summer trying to fish the FG knot, and I went back to my uni knot, which I've been tying since I was a kid, because the only negative to the uni knot over the FG knot is the fact that it doesn't go through the guides as well well that's fine because my leaders are short and it's rare that i need to run that knot through the guides at all i will typically leave the union i will reel up to the knot being right at the tip guide and cast from there that's how i do it and therefore it doesn't beat up my knot and therefore i also don't have to worry about tying an fg knot another good choice is uh, a crazy alberto or an albright knot both of those test out very well as well For me the uni knot's more versatile and i can use it for other things besides just joining lines so i don't want to know how to tie every knot out there i don't care after 20 years of doing this professionally and 40 plus years of doing this for fun i don't need to know every knot out there i just need to know three fundamental ones and that's basically all i use for anything so i even join um my line to my real spool using a uni knot and When you think of joining two lines, it's actually a double uni or back-to-back uni The thing about a uni knot is it's tied around the line It's not tied to the two lines are not tied together. They're tied around each other and then they jam together so It's not relevant the diameter of either of the lines. I can be tying a hundred pound fluorocarbon to 10 pound braid and it works just fine Uh, or the other way around it's irrelevant because the lines are tied around each other so look up a uni knot learn how to tie it and you can use it for a lot of stuff i already just hinted i use the uni knot to join my line to my spool works great for that because it does jam or slide it will cinch itself down on the spool Uh, works just fine when you're going to to spool i'm not an advocate of, of not having a good solid knot at the spool there's been a lot of times where i've had rods go overboard or customers threw rods overboard with the bail open and i use another rod with a lure to catch the line and pull that bait in or pull that rod in and you just hope that your that your arbor knot holds up and a traditional arbor knot also slides and cinches um, but i don't find it to be as reliable you can also use a uni-knot for other things like a bobber stop. People don't realize that, but a, let's say I don't have the rubber bobber stop or the Peg-It, and I, I need my I need my uh, slip bobber to stay where it needs to stay, or I need my sinker in the case of a Texas rig to not separate from my hook. Well, I don't have to carry a bunch of bobber stops. I can carry some 20-pound mono, 10 feet of 20-pound mono in the boat, and all I have to do is tie a uni knot around my main line, cinch it good and tight, and then clip the tag in just long enough that it'll catch the bobber or catch the sinker and keep it from sliding. It works exceptionally well. It's almost free. I mean, you can use the tail end of a spool of line, and I don't have to carry. It's less things I have to carry. So uni knot's extremely versatile in that regard. Also, another thing a Uni Knot is good for, um, which I think uh, is a lost art these days, but more people should do, is snelling a hook. And snelling, you guys have all seen them, the little packages, little long skinny strips. They have like six or eight bait hooks in them. Typically, they're sold alongside power bait and bobbers, and they're used for that. Eagle Claws got famous for selling a majillion packages of those hooks. They have a down eye, and you see the the little short stubby leader that's tied to those goes through the eye, and then there's a uni knot tied around the shank of the hook. And in that case, you have the, the line coming straight out of the hook, and you get a perfectly linear pull when you set the hook. It doesn't tilt the hook one direction or another. It's also extremely Strong. So if you want to snell a hook, you see some bass guys do it. Greg Hackney, a uh, relatively big name bass guy, famous for snelling hooks, few other guys. You can even snell with braid uh, rather than a Palomar knot. I see guys do that occasionally these days, but using a using a uni knot is what that is. So you go through the eye of the hook, tie a uni knot around the shank behind the eye of the hook, and then it just jams up against the eye. So for me, all my knots come down to a perfection loop which I will only use when I need uh, my lure to swing freely. So, meaning something like a, an old-school floating Rapala uh, that has no um, split ring on the end of it. Well, if you want that lure to swing around freely, you need a, either a loop knot or you need to put a split ring on the end of it. Same thing with some kind of a spoon that has a hole drilled in it. You need to put a loop knot right there so that the thing can swing around freely. Anytime I'm putting a jig head or anything else for that matter that doesn't have a split ring on it directly to a very heavy leader, for instance, the jigs on the bonefish situation I was talking about earlier, I tie a little perfection loop in the tip right there so that the jig can move very freely and not be bound up by the line. Or the same thing with a pike, if I'm tying a jig head-on for pike fishing and I have an 80 pound bite leader on there, a fluorocarbon bite leader, well if I tie that straight to the jig, the jig is dead in the water. You might as well be stuck on a piece of stick, you know, the, the line is too stiff. But by putting a perfection loop there uh, it will allow it to swing around freely and uh, that's a really good choice so i'll use a perfection loop for that Keep in mind that a loop knot of any kind is weaker than just about any other knot you can tie, so they need to be retied very often. And also in the case of a loop knot, I want the smallest possible loop. So I will pull that loop knot all the way down so I just have a tiny little loop, and that's a really important thing right there as well. It keeps your hook from getting caught in it or catching other trebles that might be on the bait. Uh, also from getting debris in there. So a little tiny loop uh, at the front of of a lure can make a big difference. So I use a perfection loop for that. I'll use a palomar knot for tying braid to anything else, anything terminal. I will use a San Diego jam to tie fluoro or mono, uh, you know, fluorocarbon or nylon monofilament to uh, a hook or anything like that. That's where I'll use the San Diego jam knot. And then I'll use a uni knot to join two lines together or to snell a hook or as a bobber stop. That's it. That's all the knots I use and all the angling that I do. So. Enough about knots. We talked a little bit about line. We talked about knots. We talked about hooks. Let's go on to sinkers. Now, similarly to hooks and line, I want the smallest sinker I need to make my presentation. Um, I guess the whole system kind of ties together at that point. In other words, the less thing I want to affect my lure or my Live bait, as the case might be, the less weight or stiffness or terminal parts I put in there, the better off I am. So for me, the weight has to be just heavy enough to either get my bait to go down at the speed I need it to, uh, to, you know, maybe I need a fast sink rate. To trigger bites, or maybe I'm fishing really deep and I need to have feel, or maybe I've got current and I need to keep a bait on the bottom. But if I'm debating between two sinkers, I'm always going to choose the lighter of the two. The less weight I have to put in my system, the better off I am. Um, that's not to say don't use weight, you need to use some weight at times, uh, but I specifically want to have the least amount of weight, just enough to give me the controllability that I need. So, you know, if I'm pitching a Texas rig around cover, I want just enough that I can throw it accurately and get to the bottom quickly in the amount of depth I'm in and no more than that. I'm not going to use a heavier sinker, you know, for anything specific there. Um, th- with bait on the bottom, I want it, you know, let's say I'm catfishing or maybe i am got Power bait out there for trout, just enough weight to get the thing to the bottom and hold it there. The wind's blowing, maybe you need to up your weight a little bit. Uh, if, if you know you got current, maybe you need to up the weight a little bit. But all things being equal, I'm going to choose my lightest weight uh, that I can do and get my presentation there or to get controllability of my bait. And you'll notice a lot of this conversation comes down to controllability. Um, If I'm going to use, let's say I'm going to use split shot, I'll typically separate them. I'll use three small ones rather than one big one because what happens there is you spread the load out a little bit and you have less chance of snagging. Uh, That's a good call in that scenario. Um, If I'm going to uh, add weight to a soft plastic to get it to go down, something maybe you think of like a wacky rig and people put weight in one end of it, Again, the least amount I need to get it to go down. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to add extra weight that's going to kill the action or make something un- not lifelike. There's nothing that lives in the water that actually lives in the water. That sinks very quickly. Uh, the density of the species in the water, um, the prey species, the crayfish and everything else, a dead fish or anything else, none of it sinks quickly. So yeah I can use this fall rate to trigger bites occasionally but at the end of the day what really happens is I snag more stuff because it slams into the bottom and gets into cracks and everything else and I don't realize what's going on or I spook fish and blah blah blah. So I want my lightest sinker I can get away with any on any given day regardless of what style of sinker that is. When it comes to terminal stuff in general, in other words, uh, snaps and swivels, I am not a fan, period. The more stuff between me and my fish, the or me and my lure, the worse my presentation gets. Also, the more knots I have in there, the worse my situation gets. So if I have to tie a swivel, now I need three knots, bare minimum, as opposed to one by tying without a swivel. Now somebody's gonna start yelling about line twist. Okay, that's fair, I understand. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that, particularly with braided line, let's say, the, the resistance of the swivel to twist is typically more than the line. So when I have tested that, you spin the lure. If you just hang a piece of braided line, let's say you get a, a two-foot piece of braided line, then you tie a swivel to it, and then you drop a foot of, of mono off of that, and then you hang a leader off it, and you just hang that from a hook on your ceiling, you spin that leader, you, or you spin that, that lure watch the swivel. The swivel won't spin. The line will spin. When I learned that, it occurred to me that, oh, the torsional rigidity of the line is less than that of the swivel when the swivel has any weight on it. And therefore, when you start jigging your spoon up and down, it's not your swivel that's stopping your twist. It's your braid that doesn't care. That's a different story with fluorocarbon or monofilament, both of which are infinitely stiffer than braided line that point you might need a swivel. If I do have to use a swivel, then to, to avoid line twists, something maybe I'm retrieving a spoon or an inline spinner, um, then at that point I will definitely use a swivel, but I will use the smallest swivel I can get. So even a tiny, tiny little swivel is higher pound test than anything else in my system. And though therefore I'm going to use it. Again, I'm going to avoid them if at all possible. And I'm gonna end on this one snaps one of my biggest pet peeves oh i use this snap so i can change lures in a hurry no 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 and no don't do that the reason is you're going to have a stale knot and stale knot is the single biggest reason for losing fish in my opinion by a large margin you are never more set up for disappointment than tying a eight-pound monofilament to a snap and then changing lures all day long on that snap because that nylon monofilament knot is your weakest link and it gets weaker and weaker and weaker the longer you fish with it you finally get Shamu to bite you set the hook and it breaks off and now you're yelling about your line no it was your stale hook do not use snaps in my opinion to change to, to speed up the knot process or the lure changing process. If you need to use a snap to allow a lure to swing freely as opposed to a loop knot, I totally get that. That makes good sense. I'm still not a fan because you have another piece of hardware in there. But if you're going to go that route, at least retie to the, to the snap as fast as po- or as often as possible. Don't let your knots get stale. So I'm going to leave it at that, guys. I don't use snaps. Learn to tie knots. Tie them quickly. Learn them at home, not when you're on the water, so you don't get flustered and you'll be good. Last thing is this, there's no such thing as too much lube on your knot. When you you cinch it down, a big gob of spit is going to be better. You need to take the heat out of the knot, not just the friction. Cinch it underwater or cinch it with a big glob of spit on it, and uh, that's gross, so I'm going to end right there. So, guys, hopefully you got something from this podcast. Uh, Hopefully you'll subscribe while you're here. Uh, Check out more information on the Fishful Thinker YouTube channel. There's like 500 videos there, all of them education-based. We'd love to have you check that out and subscribe. Also, you can join the conversation on Facebook or Instagram at Fishful Thinker, and you can catch us on World Fishing Network and Altitude Sports multiple days every week. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.